Chapter 6 of What is Industrial Democracy by Norman Thomas. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by The Progressing America Project. What is Industrial Democracy? Chapter 6 Government and Industrial Democracy. There is a theory of the government of the state, subscribed to by many divergent schools of radical thought, which regards it as the executive committee of the owning class. Political democracy under this theory is seen as almost wholly illusory, a camouflage to deceive the people as to the real nature of control. Be that as it may, it is nevertheless true that the state under the influence of political democracy and under pressure of the organized labor movement has intervened to limit the despotic power of individual owners. Social Legislation This intervention has taken two forms. First, the state has stepped in to regulate industry in the interest both of producers and consumers. In the interest of the former are workmen's compensation acts, insurance against unemployment, regulation of conditions of labor as respects safety and sanitation, control of hours and even of wages, especially of women and children. In the interest of the latter are our various pure food and drug acts and our elaborate regulating commissions with power over the rates of public utilities. Whatever else may be said of these devices, they are outstanding proofs that our economic machinery cannot be run simply by the working out of those impersonal economic laws which are the orthodox defense of our profit-governed order. There is not only room but necessity for the considered intervention of government in the interests of the people as human beings rather than economic pawns. And this conclusion is sound even though these reformist measures should be considered as sops to keep labor or the consumers quiet. Government Ownership The second direction in which government has intervened has been by actually acquiring ownership of a wide range of industries and public utilities. Such ownership eliminates private ownership and control. It makes possible a more direct consideration of the needs of the people than is possible under private operation for profit. For instance, the publicly owned hydroelectric system of Ontario, while it has very satisfactorily paid its own way, has been able deliberately to take account of the needs of farmers, as the privately owned systems, greedy for immediate profits, have not. On the other hand, government ownership, even in Soviet Russia, operates under the wage system and as yet can scarcely be said to have worked out a very perfect system of functional self-government. Government employees may enjoy some special advantages in hours, and more rarely in wages, but too often they are handicapped by the injustices of political favoritism and the dead weight of bureaucracy. These evils, however, are remediable. They are by no means so inherent in government ownership as are waste and autocracy in the profit system. It is significant that in countries as diverse as England, Russia, Germany, and the United States, and under philosophies as different as communism and progressivism, labor and radical movements are definitely turning to the government as the owner of various natural resources and industries. 
Then they are trying to set up guards against over-centralization and bureaucracy. Footnote. The best answer to current criticism is an examination of what vast enterprises are under government ownership and control. That examination has been undertaken in a previous pamphlet of this series. Harry Wellington Laidler's Public Ownership Here and Abroad must be considered an integral chapter in the study of approaches toward industrial democracy. End footnote. In this process, it is possible to consider the state as the agent of the consumers, operating more effectively for them in the case of public utilities than can voluntary consumers' organizations. To make the state really efficient, however, it must admit the equal right of other organizations, like unions and consumers' cooperatives, to express the needs of men. Government should incorporate functional as well as geographic representation, and political parties should avowedly represent real economic interests. We Americans are the victims of an elaborate and well-financed propaganda for the discrediting of public ownership, a propaganda which makes an easy appeal to the individualism of a people not far removed from pioneer days. Granting that not all government ownership in our own or other countries has succeeded, or that any government ownership is of itself a panacea for all ills, it is ridiculous to denounce out of hand a system of ownership which has to its credit such conspicuous successes as the building and operation of the Panama Canal, the New York City water supply, the Ontario hydroelectric development, and the Canadian National Railways. Footnote. The whole problem of incentive under social ownership and production for use is involved in this point. It has been interestingly discussed by John H. Hobson in Incentives in the New Social Order. We hope to make it the subject of a forthcoming pamphlet in this series. End of chapter 6